looking at the exiting of Egypt. Um, I, I almost tie, entitled it The Chaos of the Egyptians, but uh, I, I thought better of it. So just in case, you never know. Father, we come before your throne. Let us understand the cross. Let us understand what was paid for us to redeem us, to draw us to you and your kingdom. And Father, I just pray as we look at your word this night and the magnificent, awesome God that you are, that Father, we understand the power and the majesty and the beauty of what it is you do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for drawing us. Father, thank you for saving us. And uh, Father, uh, as Paul has told us in 2 Corinthians, uh, that uh, the Israelites were given to us of things not to do. Father, let us heed that this day to your glory and praise. Amen. We're looking at the conclusion of the plagues and now the hand of God literally leading the Israelites out of captivity. They were in slavery. And I shared with you back in January when we started this, that when we look at the 66 books that make up the Bible, that we look at it as God revealing himself, exposing himself to who we are. Uh, who he is and he will show you uh, you but he will also show himself to us and we need to pay attention to this a lot because there's times when we get into a myopic world where we're looking at just the surroundings and there is a ripple that happens in our lives that moves through our lives. Um, and this is God working. Uh, it is, it is God dealing with individuals. It's God dealing with nations. Uh, he, uh, Paul writing the letter to the Romans says he sets into place. Uh, I remember a friend of mine one time, uh, bless his heart. He said, well, if it's supposed to get worse toward the conclusion of the age, why don't we vote for the worst person? And I said, I just, I don't like that plan. He says, that way we can speed it up. And I said, I don't think you'll speed it up, but you would have the ramifications of, look what we did. <laughs> so, um, but the thing is, is when you look at the revealing of God, you got to at some point understand the coming of his kingdom and his glory. Um, for whatever reason, the text that I'll teach on tomorrow morning uh, is going to be based out of the book of Joel. Uh, and I know everybody said, but I thought we were doing love. We are, but I need to deal with some issues. Uh, and, and so I will. And, and, and yet when I look at the book of Joel, I look at the coming kingdom. I mean, that's what the book is. That God, when Jesus, now listen, I'm talking about when Jesus Christ sets up his throne in the city of David. That's what I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking some mystical thing. I'm talking about when Jesus Christ walks on this planet yet again and will have his throne in Jerusalem, okay? And there will be a pouring out of his spirit on all peoples, all peoples. That would be a global effect. 
Uh, and, and that is still the revealing of God. And when I look at God reveal himself, I'm looking at the culmination of it is the coming kingdom. But there's this gap that's in between. And that's where you and I are hanging out at. Okay, And it started back in Genesis when the fall, but it's cruising along now. And that's sort of what I wanted us to think about when, I, when, I, when you look at this. Because when I start looking at this text, I believe that majority of Christians shift in to um, movies. I think that we shift to a movie. I think we think about Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments. When we think about the Exodus, we immediately think with the white hair and the thing kind of split down like that in a stick and the funny looking jacket and, and old Chuck. Okay, and, and, and I, I really believe that that's what we do. And we think about the fire and we think about the special effects and he did this and he did, you know, if we did this movie now, how much greater would the special effects be and stuff like that. And the truth of the matter is, this is history. This is true. It happened. And if you really look at it and you're truly honest with yourselves, you'll see that from the Exodus to today, the Egyptians are not a non-player on the world circuit. And yet they were a world power when the Jews were their slaves. Okay? And we have to take from that the understanding of what does God do? And how does God do it? And pay attention to that. And, and uh, uh, you know, you know it's, it's just like when I, when I think about people who want to take experience and use it to validate Scripture. Well, what would you do with this experience? The ten plagues. Is, it, is God really working? You betcha. Okay, and you would be able... When, he, when you make statements that the plague will start tomorrow, <laughs> and it does, uh, ooh, ooh, I mean, that's not luck ten times. All right. So when we do this, I want us to think about it. Verse 17 is where we're going to pick it up. Now, it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. Now, look, God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return okay, by land of the Philistines. If you were to look at a map and see the Exodus, it would uh, look like a typical man. Not asking for directions. Just, I'm going to the promised land and you're headed south. <clears throat> the promised land is east. Why am I going south? Well, it would have been by the, lo- by the way of the Philistines. Now, where were the Philistines? Same place they were when King David is around. In the land of Canaan, they're along the coast. Okay, But they had also been running past a number of Egyptian fortresses. And if I was going to go to the land of Canaan, going east to the northeast, out of Egypt, I would go by way of the sea, along the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. I would have flat land, okay, well-traveled and protected. Okay, Be, you would either go by the way of the sea or by the way of sure. Okay, those were the most direct. They were the shortest. And 
you would have had the vigilance of a number of Egyptian fortresses for a while, and then you would have run into Philistine fortresses. So you would have had protection from robbers, uh, people who would want to do you harm, and, and things like that. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> sounds like a great idea, except for one reason. These were slaves. And it wasn't like you were going to take two million people and sneak them through. Okay, I mean, two million people walking in the desert are going to cause a cloud of dust. And I don't have to even tell you about their donkeys or their camels or their oxen or their goats or their sheep or stuff like that. I don't have to tell you about that kind of stuff. They're just going to make a mess. You're going to see this big old cloud coming at you. Okay. But God says, you know what? The people aren't battle ready. And they weren't. They couldn't take on a fortress. They were herdsmen. And if you're truly honest with the text, when they left, how many weapons did they take with them? None were stated. I mean, there probably would have been some knives. There might have been even a few handfuls of swords. But for the tr- but a, a battle-arranged military force, they didn't have it. They had a bunch of herdsmen, slaves, slaves. Hence God led, verse 18, led the people around the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea and the sons of Israel went up in a marshaled array from the land of Egypt. So they're walking in a form, in a a way that makes it um, easier to travel. Okay, it's not like it's just a big mob moving around. All right, but he's taking them south. He's taking them into the wilderness. He's taking them away from where the garrisons would be, the Egyptian garrisons or the Philistine garrisons. Okay, God chose a second option by way of Mount Sinai. Verse 18 tells us that he's headed down south. He says there that he is going down toward the wilderness to the Red Sea. Okay, literally the word Red Sea in the Hebrew, it could literally be translated Sea of Reeds. Um, but the best understanding would be the Sea of Papyrus Marshes. Okay. So you would have this place of water right on the edge of the wilderness. And when I look at wilderness, uh, having traveled some in these areas, uh, dude, you ain't got no clue what wilderness is until you've seen some of this place. I mean, um, I've been down to the southwestern United States, uh, but you still always see uh, some of the Joshua trees. You'll see sage. Uh, you'll see some kind of cactus and, and things like that. You get into the wilderness down on the, the Sinai Peninsula, uh, southern Israel. Dude, all I do is grow rocks and dirt. There ain't nothing out there. Now, now Isaiah tells me that there are roses that bloom. Okay, Isaiah, (laughs) but everything I've seen, I don't understand, you know, and I still try to struggle. Why would you fight over who owned this? I mean, look, I own the dark side of the moon. (laughs) Nothing grows on it, but it's mine. And all I can think is keep it. 
Okay, happy for you. I mean, you can't do anything with it, but you go, they call it the Negev. Once you get below the Negev, it goes into the wilderness. That's where David hung out when he was hiding from King Saul. And I tell you what, you cannot find more bleak, God-forsaken country in your life. Because here, even here, when you get into the desert, you will find um, some kind of vegetation. Dude, I looked at that stuff. There ain't nothing there but rocks and dirt and hot. And, and it's probably in that order. He's taken them down by the edge of this, by this lake. It literally is what it is. Um, and then we get into the multiple views of the Red Sea. What the heck is the Red Sea? Um, some people try to say that the crossing of the Red Sea uh, is the northeast region of the Delta, the Nile Delta. That goes into the Mediterranean. Um, the problem with that is that would be the way of the sea. That would take you up to the Egyptian fortresses and the Philistines. Okay. The other thing is, if you go over just a second to chapter 15, um, verse 22 and 23, it says that Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Mahara, they could not drink the water for it was bitter. Okay. Now, Mahara is, has to be three days from where they left. Okay. If you go northeast, you don't get three days. Second one. Um, a lot of people think it was the north end uh, of the Gulf of Suez. Okay, now understand the Suez Canal is non-existent when the Exodus takes place. Okay, because it'd be easy to say, well, they just crossed the Suez Canal. Uh-huh, <laughs> except for one problem. <laughs> Nobody had dug it yet. All right, so they didn't cross the Suez. All right, um, if it's the Gulf of Suez, then you rule out the wilderness of Shur. Okay, um, some people think it's Lake Tishma um, or the southern uh, extension of a lake called Mazala uh, that is, exists today. Um, the problem is it's still more than three days from Mara. Okay, and there's a reason it's listed to three days. All right. Um, there is a place called the Bitter Lakes region. And this fits. They couldn't drink the water because it was bitter. Um, geographically, and it also fits the three-day time limit for them to, to get to this place. Uh, in chapter 13, verses 12 and 15, you see this. Uh, you shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb and every offspring of every beast and the first offspring, um, and they shall be redeemed. Uh, these belong to the Lord. And what is he talking about right there? He's basically saying, we're going to this place. You're going to take these animals with you, but we can't linger. Okay. I don't want to go up by where the fortresses are. Why? You don't have a military. All right. I don't want to go too far south and stay away too much from the fresh water because you have all these animals. 
All right, so God's got a plan. Um, verse 19 of chapter 13, he says, Moses took the bones of Joseph. Now, I want you to look at this phrasing because this is really kind of cool stuff. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him for he had made the sons of Israel. This would be Joseph solemnly swear saying, God shall surely take care of you and shall carry my bones from here with you. Okay. Now he's... uh, I find this fascinating because this drops you all the way back to Genesis chapter 50. Okay, Joseph, remember, he gets into Pharaoh's house and blesses Egypt and it all goes well. And Joseph's having a blast. He brings, he reunites his family of 70 and they're all just having a, uh, 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 just a snappy good time. Okay, but he made this comment. When you leave, Take my bones with you. Now, he's got to go all the way back to the promise of Abraham. Because Abraham was promised by God that your people, what? Are going to be in captivity for 400 years. You won't. But then I will bring them out of the land. All right. Now, let me ask you a question. How strong is your faith? I find this fascinating. You've got the nation of Israel leaving Egypt, probably two million people with golly goats and oxen and sheep and all this livestock and they're carrying Joseph's coffin. See, 360 years, Joseph had seen what was going to happen. He understood it. The day when God would bring the exodus, Joseph had instructed them about his bones. Bring my body out and bury me in the promised land. Okay, let me ask you a question. How certain is Joseph? He's really certain. You know why? Because in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 22, it says this, By faith, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. You know what? Nothing personal. Um, you know, I've had people ask me about being cremated and buried and all the rest of it. You know, I don't really care what you do with my carcass. I ain't there and I don't need it no more. Okay? Uh, you want some sentimental attachment? Just knock yourself out. But I'm gone. And yet Joseph's confidence in the promises of God. Now, you got to understand, go back what Joseph went through. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. So Joseph said, you know what? I've watched God's faithfulness. When my brothers tried to kill me and then changed their mind and sold me into slavery, uh, when I got into Potiphar's hands and Potiphar's wife falsely accused me and I got thrown in prison, and when I got th- got into prison, uh, you know, I shared the, the dreams with those two guys and they forgot about me. And now all of a sudden I'm out uh, and now I'm in Pharaoh's 
counsel. I'm doing this and everything's being blessed. But I want to tell you this. God's faithfulness is such as this. I want to stand on the promises of God, the covenant of God. And the reason that I want to do that, I want you to bring my bones out. That's amazing stuff. Now, I bring that to your attention because one of the things that the Israelites were sure of was to do what? Get Joseph's coffin and bring him out of Egypt. Fascinating. Fascinating. Years of wandering. Do you understand what we're going to do now? We got 40 years wandering around in it. The desert with a box of bones and a bunch of grumbling campers, don't we? And yet it was promised, and yet they took care of it. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. We had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, God shall surely take care of you and shall carry my bones from here with you. Verse 20, they set out from Succoth and camped at Ethram and on the edge of the wilderness. Now then, all of a sudden, you're starting to see that they dropped south a little farther. Okay, the, what's fascinating about that verse right there, if you take it back, Ethram, um, if you take it in the Egyptian language, it's Ketner. Ketner. And what it means is fortress. So he took them. And if, if you look at history and archaeology, you'll see a, liz, a line of Egyptian fortresses from this era. And there was one to the south part down by this Bitter Lakes area. Not quite at the Bitter Lakes. And this would be the last fortress on those ones that guarded the, the, the northeastern trailway of the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, uh, it's tough to pinpoint it specifically, but it was right on the edge of the desert. And Yahweh, anytime you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh was going before them. How do you know? Pillar of cloud by day led them on the way. How does I to go follow a cloud? Okay, now think about it. If you're in the desert, what would you want to follow? Especially if you had two million people. I'd want a shade. Shade is a commodity in the desert, isn't it? And God would give them a cloud. And he'd lead them on the way. And in a pillar of fire of night to give them light and probably heat. Deserts can get cold in the evening. That they might travel by day and by night. Sort of like God's flashlight. God turned lights on. Follow me. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Why? He says, people, do you see what I'm doing? I'm leading. I mean, you know, we, we put a lot of stock in... People, and I'm, you know, they were following Moses, but it's obvious who Moses was following. He's following the cloud. <laughs> He's following the pillar of fire. That's how God, in a single column of fire, 
Chapter 14, verse 24 tells us that it came about in the morning that Yahweh looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. Yeah, no doubt. If I was hanging out in my chariot with a bunch of horses and a pillar of fire started messing with me, I would probably be confused. Okay, verse 19 Oh, wait, 1419 gives reference to the angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel. Okay, so what was it? Angel of God or was it a pillar of fire or was it a cloud? Yes. Okay, the best translation that you can get from the text. Um, if I could look at Isaiah chapter 63 verses 8 and 9. Um, Exodus 33, 9 through 11, and Exodus 23, 20 through 23, then what I grab from all three of those is an angel of God's presence. Okay? What? There are certain angelic hosts who are solely given to one responsibility. What is it? Being in the presence of God. There's a whole bunch of angels moving back and forth, doing whatever God wants done, right? But there are also cherubim and seraphim who are in the throne room of God. You go look at Ezekiel, you look at Jeremiah, you look at what John's revelation is, and you see these these creatures. And the best translation would be an angel of God's presence. Um, when you go with angels, don't think about a, a female looking thing with wings. Okay. Don't, that's not biblical. All the angels that you see in scripture are male. Okay. And it's obvious they've got some kind of ability to move quickly from point A to point B, whether it's wings or I don't know how it works. Um, But if you've been in the presence of an angel, you will be freaked out. Everybody who's been in the presence of an angel uh, thought they had saw God. And okay, when you hear the word angel, think about this word first, messenger. That's what the word means. Okay, so there was communications from God, be it either in the cloud, in the fire. I mean, it could be something simply as following it. It ain't like you're hearing voices, but it's true. When God approached Moses for the first time, what was it? It was audible. But what did he look at? Fire. Okay. So it was this pillar and the Lord spoke to Moses. You see it in chapter 33, verses 9 through 11. He would commune with, and I use that word commune. Commune is to communicate with. He would communicate with Moses through the pillar of fire. And he kept him guarded. And look what it says in chapter 14, verse 1. Now Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, verse 2, tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before, and then he names off these cities and these areas where he wants them to camp. They will camp. Okay, and they were going to camp by this what? Sea, reed sea, or papyrus marshes by this bitter lake. For Pharaoh will say, verse 3 says, For Pharaoh will say to the sons of Israel, They're wandering aimlessly. 
They're lost and they're not asking for directions. And the wilderness has shut them in. See, they're not dumb enough to take two million people camping in the desert. But I want you to go back with where I started this from. Who gets credit for this adventure? God does. Man would have went up by the sea. Why? There's other men there. They would have been able to get water. They would have seen these fortresses. They could have gotten, they had people that would take care of them and watch for them. You, listen, let's be realistic. I would not want to take two million people camping in the desert. Ever. All right? But God says, no, I'll take you. I'll take you camping. And so Pharaoh looks at it and says, well, where are the Israelites? Well, they're headed down toward the desert. Well, they're lost. And they're not even going to be able to get through this desert. But remember who's saying this. Yahweh is watching what's going on. And Yahweh says in verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all of his army and all and the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. And they did so. And they did so. Okay, verse five, when the king of Egypt, that would be Pharaoh, was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had change of heart. Well, that's not like a new revelation now, is it? They seem to do this on a regular basis during the ten plagues. And they said, What is this that we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us? It's like our country today. We got Black Friday. This is when all the retailers start making a profit. That's the concern. We need to make a profit. We're trying to make a profit based on Jesus' birthday. Okay, what was Pharaoh's biggest concern? How is this going to affect the economy? Who's building all these cities for us? You going to make us do it? We're Egyptians. We don't make bricks. See, one of the things I see in here, a hard heart loses all of its sensitivities. I mean, listen, you just had the first male born of everything die. And your conclusion is, I gotta get these Jews back so the economy doesn't go south. Why? I mean, I hear that now about illegal aliens. Well, do you understand what they do for the economy? What? (laughs) What do they do for the economy? And I'm not here to... To pick at that. But what I'm trying to say is, are we so vain that that is our concerns in life? I mean, um, I, I, I got some diesel fuel today for my truck. $350 a gallon is what I paid for it. I fell over. Then I thought, you know, really, what is the big deal? But when we let our hearts get hardened to God, uh, literally become calloused. Uh, If you get calluses on your hands, um, don't have no sensitivity to it anymore. 
You, you, can't, you can't sense anything. And when we allow our hearts to get that way to what God does, we become what I call senseless. Look at what we chase. Look at what we pursue. The people, the very people who had urged the Israelites to leave quickly are now urging Pharaoh to use force to bring them back. Okay, listen, that is no different than the Monday morning that Jesus entered in Jerusalem on a donkey. And what was it they said when he entered into Jerusalem? Hosanna to David. You you know what that is? That's messianic. Hosanna. You are Messiah. You are the lineage of David. You are the king of the Jews. That's amazing. Three days. What is their conclusion? Crucify him. Crucify him. Give us the murderer. Release Barabbas to us. Crucify Jesus. That's what our hearts do. Verse 6, so he made his chariots ready and he took his people with him. He took 600 select chariots. This would probably be the Pharaoh's personal guard and all the other chariots of Egypt with their officers over all of them. It was introduced by Hercules and the word choice chariots would be the elite chariots. He's taken and he's going to ride out. You got... Two million people walking, and now you've got probably a thousand or more chariots chasing them, coming after them. Look what it says in verse 8. Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. There was a confidence. that, that, that I, I want you to think about this. They have just been through ten plagues. And they've watched the angel of death pass over them. They've watched hailstorms hit everywhere but their houses. They didn't touch their crops. They'd seen pestilence and locusts everywhere except where they were. They had watched the hand of God protect them. They had watched what God had done. And they understood that Moses was the instrument that God was using to bring them out of Egypt. And they were ecstatic. And it says they were bold. They were confident. Yeah. I showed you two weeks ago how every god of the Egyptians, God defeated, embarrassed. And I mean, it wasn't even a struggle for Yahweh. And he goes out and they're all just, we're on God's side and we're cruising and we're kicking butt. And they gave us gold and silver and their best stuff just to get us out of Dodge. And our God is an awesome God and we need to sing some courses and praise hymns and do all kinds of things. And we're having a blast. Says the Israelites were bold. As they were going, verse nine, then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea. 
He gives us two locations to try to pinpoint it. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked up, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And what did they do? They became frightened. And you know what the Israelites did when they became frightened? They do the same thing that you and I do when we get frightened. Cried out to the Lord. Help me. Why would you be afraid? Why would you be afraid? You've just gone through almost a year of of plagues. And you've watched the mercy of God protect you every time. You've even watched the mercy of God protect the Egyptians who wanted to be with you. You've watched the Passover. You have seen the first male-born die in Egypt. Everything from the beast to the men. All died. Then they said to Moses, verse 11, It is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Well, if I was been Moses right then, I'd already said, you know what? This is just not going to be a good plan. I can tell. I mean, we are one day out of this great adventure, and these people concluded we're just going to go out here and die. Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? I want you to just hear what he just said. You have taken us out of slavery and now I'm out here. Why did you do that? Now, now I want you to think about that for a second because I watched the church do this. God draws us out of our sinful lives, places us in the influence of the kingdom of God. And what is our first response? Why did you do that? I was having fun over there. How do we cheapen salvation? And we keep looking at it thinking, well, no, man, it's the pattern of man. It's the pattern of man. Look around you and ask yourself a simple question. Ask yourself this question. If I am only immortal because of the presence of Jesus Christ, then what problem do I really have? And I will ask you a simple question. What frightens you? Loss of job? Education, loss of education, loss of spouse, loss of children. Don't have no children. I want children. What frightens you? I don't know if my car is going to make it. I don't know if this is going to make it. I don't know if this is going to happen. What do you think about that? Are you worried about, uh, what's his name? I'm on a jihad getting a nuclear weapon. The dude in Iran. Are you afraid of terrorists? What what are you afraid of? Listen, think about Joseph saying, take my bones. Why? Where's my faith? I'm going to be dead. (laughs) But I still want you to take my bones with you when you leave. And I keep thinking, I read that about Joseph and you sit there and you go, well, wait a minute. 
but yeah, you know, with the little thing with Potiphar's wife and da da da, and his brother selling him, and then redrawing the family back together. I, you know, yeah, he's got faith. Listen, you just went through ten plagues from God. You watch what God does. And you know what? Every one of you in this room who knows Jesus Christ have seen the miracles of God. You know what they are. You've tasted of the heavenlies. You've experienced the presence of God. You know the peace that surpasses all understanding. And yet, when the payday comes, what do we do? I don't know. Where am I going to get from point B to point anywhere? How am I going? Oh, yeah. God can save you. He just can't seem to take care of you while you're here. Really? And yet, it goes all the way back to the Exodus. I mean, we see this all the way down the line. It says here, I find it fascinating that when we get frightened, we cry out to God. Right? But Moses' exhortation is to turn to God. Why are you bring us out of Egypt? Verse 12 says, Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? See, we already told you, Moses, just leave us alone. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And in verse 13, Moses said to the people, what? Don't be afraid. They had just left Egypt one day earlier very boldly. Our God is an awesome God. Now they're going, why don't we just go back to be slaves? Why don't we go back to imprisonment? Why don't we go back to bondage? Why don't we go back to the chains? Why don't we go back to building bricks? Why don't we go back to being slaves? Tools in the hands of the Egyptians. Why don't we go do that? I won't go die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of Yahweh that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians, who you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. All right? Now watch what happens in verse 14. Yahweh will fight for you while you keep silent. See that in 1 Samuel 17, verse 47. You see it in 2 Chronicles 14, 10 and 11. You see it in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15. You see it in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3. And Psalm 24, 8. Yahweh will fight for you while you keep silent. That's the exiting of Egypt. God said, let me reveal to you who I am and what I do. And watch. And you don't even have to say anything. And they were scared. You've got a military force moving on to a whole bunch of civilians. And they were afraid. 
Absolutely afraid. And yet they'd left Egypt boldly. Look what God's doing. And, and, I, and I think the thing, you know, leave, just coming through the ten plagues, okay, you know, you just sit there and you go, whoa, God sort of kind of charged me. He had three days, it was flat dark. And the only light there was were in the Israelites' house. And you're just like, I mean, it was so dark that the candles and the fires could not be seen. I mean, that's like dark. I mean, you got bugs, locusts, and you had pestilence, you had boils, you had the first male born, you had all of this stuff happen. And you'd say, wow, dude, God is sort of like in charge here. But you know the one that amazed me the most? They're walking with Joseph's bones, understanding that they had sworn an oath that when God took them out of Egypt, they would take Joseph's bones with them. And they're carrying a coffin. They're carrying a coffin of a man who died 360 years earlier, who said, when we get ready to leave, take me with you. And I mean, somebody's got to be carrying it. And it ain't like the thing's walking along by itself. Somebody had, you know, we're supposed to go get an old bag, bag of bones Joseph and bring him with him. And they're taking Joseph's bones because Joseph says, you know what? No matter what you see happening, I trust God. And see the salvation of the Lord and know that the Lord will fight that battle even when you keep quiet. I like that. I like that. We really do believe we have to defend ourselves, don't we? Verbally. I have to defend myself. Why? Why do we believe we have to do that? Let us learn from the Israelites and the Egyptians. God says, do something. Be a good idea. Right? Simple. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that you gave us this to strengthen us. Father, I see how men, when they become fearful, cry out to you. And yet, Father, then I look at Moses and he draws to you. Father, may that be what, how we are known. We draw to you. Thank you, Lord. You're, you are the God of salvation. You redeem this people from this nation. Father, you redeemed us from an emperor too. You saved us from sin. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Father, thank you that you will fight while we keep silent. Praise you for that. Cherish that. And give you the praise for that time. Thank you, Jesus. In Christ's name. Amen.